Andy, my dude, have you heard of the magical website builder known as Squarespace? Ugh, not another Squarespace ad. I feel like every podcast is sponsored by them. <laughs> hey, 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 don't knock it till you try it. Yes, okay, it is overhyped. But actually, it lives up to the hype. Squarespace is like a website fairy godmother. With a click of a button, your site transforms into a beautiful masterpiece. A website fairy godmother? That sounds interesting. What makes it so magical? Well, for starters, those slick templates make anyone look like a professional web designer. Pick one, customize the colors and fonts to match your brand, and voila. Plus, the drag-and-drop fluid engine is so easy, your grandma could build a site on Squarespace. Well, she did knit me a lovely scarf last Christmas. Maybe website design is next. Exactly. And when you're ready to sell your Nana's handmade scarves online, Squarespace has built-in e-commerce. Add a store with one click. Get flexible payment options. Then watch those sales roll in. And when she wants to teach others her steezy scarf skills, Squarespace's new courses feature is just the ticket. Nana can set up her curriculum and enrollments and payments in a snap and become the next e-knitting influencer. Wow, you really sold me with the grandma angle. Sign me up for that free try. Just go to thenextreel.com slash Squarespace and transform your site into a beautiful Squarespace masterpiece. Well, thanks, Pete. Even though it's overhyped, Squarespace actually sounds perfect for Nana's site's needs. Appreciate the warning on the ads, though. I'll brace myself next time I listen to a podcast. Anytime. Let me know if you need any help getting that site up and running. Andy, can you believe we've almost hit 700 episodes of The Next Reel? I know, it's crazy. And with all the other episodes in our family of podcasts, we are well over 1,200 episodes of movie conversation. It's really pretty amazing that we've gotten to have these in-depth movie chats every week for over a decade now. And we couldn't have done it without our loyal community of film fans. Their support over the years has meant so much. For sure. That reminds me, we should give the merch store a shout out. Buying shirts from thenextreel.com slash merch is a great way listeners can continue to support the show. Plus, they get to support our great designs. Absolutely. I think sometimes folks forget we have a variety of shirts, mugs, phone cases, and more available. In fact, a great place to start is with a shirt sporting the Next Reel's logo. We also have that classic Fast Times Spicoli Surf School tee, or the weirdly popular Rusty's European Tour shirt. The one from National Foods European Vacation. Why is that so popular? <laughs> Search me, but we have sold a ridiculous number of those. I guess there are a lot of Rusties taking trips to Europe? We're always adding new designs based on movies we've covered, like our brand new design for a streetcar named Desire, featuring a streetcar named Desire. So if you want to rep your love of TNR and films, head to thenextreel.com slash merch. Every purchase helps us continue to have these weekly in-depth conversations. So visit thenextreel.com slash merch today. And as always, thanks for listening and being a part of the Next Real community. We've got lots more great movie chats coming your way. Welcome to Trailer Rewind. Every month we dig into the archives and view a film that Pete and Andy talked about in their trailer picks on The Mothership. JJ and I watch it and we have a very spoilery conversation about it. Today we're looking at Hunt for the Wilder People. And this was Andy's pick from January 28th, way back in 2016. Now what Andy said about this, because he was viewing just the teaser, 
Uh, but he said it looked absurd and funny in all the right ways. He was really intrigued because of the director, Taika Waititi. Is that how you say that, Taika Waititi? I, that's what I'm guessing. Yes. I, 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 that's, I'm, I'm going to go with that. Okay. Um, is, is behind some very funny stuff. Uh, Flight of the Concords. Yeah. The uh, vampire sort of docu-comedy, uh, What We Do in the Shadows. Cool. Uh, but also that he is directing Thor Ragnarok, which is coming out you know, later this year. Yeah. So it was something, at that point, he had just been sort of in pre-production on that. But it, and he said this was definitely something he wanted to give a chance. It was just sort of odd. And Pete said he didn't know what to make of it. He thought it looked like a cross between Lord of the Flies and Jackass. It's nothing like that. I, it is nothing like that. So I don't, <laughs> I don't know what he was getting out of the teaser. But he did admit that it looked funny, but he just didn't know what to make of it. Yeah. So, and I, I agree. It's, it is a hard to categorize film. But before we go any further, I want to tell everybody listening to go out and check out all the fun stuff about this show and its sibling shows over at thenextreel.com. Subscribe in your favorite podcast app. Follow us on Twitter. Facebook, Next Reel. Uh, if you want to be part of the ongoing conversation behind the scenes and connect with other listeners, you can support us on Patreon. Just $1 is going to get you that invite to our group chat on Slack. There's it's awesome. There's some really fun conversations going on in there right now during the summer. Uh, we've also added uh, reviews. So as people are posting reviews in um, Letterboxd, some of those are starting to show up there. So get a sense of what other listeners are watching. Find some some hidden gems that you may not have known about before. Yep. It's always a good combo there. So, Hunt for the Wilder People, JJ. Yes. Did you choose the Skucks life or did it choose you? Skucks. So is that the word they're using there? Skucks? Skucks, yes. And I think that's a New Zealand term. It's not anything that I'm familiar with. So there were a few New Zealander terms throughout the film that I had a little bit of difficulty with. And I feel like they explained it, but I had to go back a couple times and, and kind of get to that. So, And we're going to get to it when we start talking about their chapters as well. But... Um, I liked, I liked the fact that it was a little bit outside of my knowledge base and that I could learn uh, sort of as I went about the, these characters in the way that they were living in the culture in the bush too. I thought the, the film was great. I really liked it. It's, it's exactly the kind of movie that I really enjoy, which was sort of filled with novelty. Um, I, I felt like it was a lot like a Wes Anderson movie. Um, it really had a Moonrise Kingdom sort of feel to me as I was going All through right. it. And I really like Moonrise Kingdom. I know some people don't feel the same way about it. But um, it without the sort of dramatic spin of a Wes Anderson movie, it had sure. the novelty feel of it. And it was lighthearted in some of its dramatic situations. And I thought that was really great. So um, I I really enjoyed it. And, you know, both from a cinematic aspect with the camera to the way they told the story. Now, the one point that I will make is that I think the movie is meant to be very funny and I don't know that I laughed in it. Now, I'm a person that's really <laughs> tough to make laugh most of the time. Okay. So I, I need to concede that up front. I think it is a funny movie. But for me, the clever nature of what was presented, both in terms of dialogue and in the way that the story came through was much more valuable to it as a film than any sort of one particular joke. So uh, I, I'm sure that that trailer that Pete saw did look like it was a comedy. And I think people would say that about Wes Anderson too. But for me, I just really liked the novelty and the special way that they that they chose to tell, tell this story. Well, I, I can tell you that I, I think sort of similar to The Lobster, where yeah. there's things that, things that happen and at first you're not sure how to take them on your first viewing. On a second viewing... I think a lot more of the humor comes through 
And this in particular, there, there is a, a very odd scene uh, at a funeral where there's a minister talking that he's sort of just rambling. And at first that just caught me really off guard. Like how I wasn't sure how to take the scene because it's early in the film trying to figure out the tone of this. We're at a funeral. Should I be laughing? And on second viewing, it it's just, I think, clear that this is such a light film that it's OK to laugh. At those things. That, that was the line. A, that was the vegetables line, right? Yes. What's exactly. behind the door? <laughs> and vegetables. Vegetables? Vegetables. Exactly. And I think on the second viewing, you have that sense of, of where it's going tonally and that it's not taking itself so seriously all the time that I found myself laughing a lot more uh, on my second viewing. Of that this. makes but, sense. That makes yeah. sense. I think I laughed at the lobster a lot more the second time too. And <laughs> and you know, honestly, what the lobster is Australian, right? Is that no, no? He's he's Greek. The oh, director's Greek, yes. right? But I feel like it was shot down there. I don't know why. Oh, I had it, that, oh, that. it may it maybe. Yeah. So yeah. I, it's just both of these movies are really reminding me of how much that I need to get outside of my comfort zone and really take a look at foreign films that are out there because they're so. They're so creative and so special. You know, some parts in life, it seems like there's no way out. Like a sheep trapped in a maze designed by wolves. And you know that if you're ever in that situation, there are always two doors to choose from. And through the first door, oh, it's easy to get through that door and on the other side, waiting for you are all the nummiest treats you can imagine. Fanta, Doritos, LMP, Burger Rings, Coke Zero. But you know what? There's also another door. Not the Burger Ring door, not the Fanta door. Another door that's harder to get through. Guess what's on the other side? Anyone want to take a guess? Vegetables? No, not vegetable. No. Jesus? You would think Jesus. I thought Jesus the first time I, I, I come across that door. It's not Jesus. It's another door. And guess what's on the other side of that door? Jesus. Jesus, yeah, Jesus. He's tricky like that, Jesus. So let us pray. What I really appreciate is, is they take a simple story. I mean, it's, this is adapted from a novel. I think they did a very nice job of bringing that to the screen. Often, I think it can be a challenge to adapt a, a novel to keep you know plot moving along and stories that may de- depend a lot on character. There may be a lot of internal dialogue. And this particularly is so much about these characters. It has a, I don't want to say a slow pace, but it takes its time letting you get to know all of the characters and understand them and really giving you opportunity to think about their circumstance and their relationships. And I just thought this is so nice to have something that's quiet and calm, but still, you know, completely enjoyable and and you're laughing out loud, but it's a nice family movie. And I wasn't overwhelmed, you know, maybe in the summer block, you know, noise of all the blockbusters where everything's exploding. It's always the end of the world. It was a nice, fresh change to have just a a smaller, simpler story with characters that I just, you fall in love with them. 
Yeah. Very, very quickly. Exactly what you're talking about, too. This movie is all show and no tell. For those people that get really annoyed with exposition, like we like we had the problem with the mummy the yes. last last month. This this is artsy enough that it lets you learn about the characters and the story through the dialogue and through the actions that they take. And I I love that. We we need more of that in in films that we watch on a regular basis. So as I said, this film is is based on a book. It's based on the novel Wild Pork and Watercress, um, written by Barry Crump. And uh, so it was adapted by the director, Taika Waititi. And there was some additional writing, and I'm going to totally butcher this name, by Taya Te- Te- Repakahi. Sure. Sure. That's uh, right. Islander. Yes. Yep. Uh, so adapted. And what they did structurally, and it, it reminded me, back going back a few months to our Colonia discussion, where there, there were visual cues to sort of break up segments of the story. Here we get those chapters. So we, at the beginning of the film, we get chapter one, a real bad egg. And we work our way through the 10 chapters in an epilogue. And we served as nice little points to sort of identify how we're moving forward in the story. We've moved into a different sequence. So there's a little clue almost as to what we might be seeing in this next segment that's coming to us. So it was it was fun to see those things. To It gave me a sense, I guess, of... You know, reading that book, I don't know, it made me feel like a kid again, like somebody was reading a story to me just visually. Well, I think all the title cards, too, were all creative. The The initial credits were fantastic in the way they were integrated with the shot. And one of the neat things, and I don't know if this was because I'm not familiar with the book anymore at, at, at all, it's going to be difficult to know. But one of the things that I thought was really neat about the way they used the titles of each of the chapters is that very close to where they inserted that title card existed some piece of dialogue that let us know what that particular chapter title was upcoming. So uh, so goodbye, Ricky Baker, for example, they, they had the conversation about that he's saying goodbye, or you know, all the way down to the knack. They, he, just before we have the chapter of the knack, they explain to us what the knack is. And I, for the life of me, wouldn't be able to tell you in very cohesive terms what that <laughs> is right now, because they do such a great job of it in the movie. But um, And I, I'm being serious, not sarcastic there. But uh, that being said, I really liked how that flew flow added to the way that the that the story was structured yeah it just took us you know very sequentially through the story told us where we were going um and i i think you know it just helped also sort of center me on you know sort of where we were in the story in terms of you know the story itself it's a really simple story of you know Ricky Baker, who is this, you know, as chapter one says, he's a real bad egg. Uh, he's a kid that uh, doesn't have a home. He's in the like foster care system and he's been bounced around from home to home. And this is his his last chance, um, you know, where we find him. He is not, you know, we can see the way he's dressed. He's a he's a city kid. He talks about his rap music and being a gangster. And here he is out back amongst you know, way out in the bush, like on a farm. Tupac uh, is his best friend. Tupac is, is his best friend. You know, sort of, uh, so he's got to deal with that whole fish out of water type aspect of, he doesn't know how to function out there in the in the, in the the bush, you know. Um, but we're introduced to, you know, basically his, his foster mom, Bella, and her husband, Heck, who's played by Sam Neill, who clearly wants nothing to do with this kid, at all, and I think some of the those those early scenes with with Sam Neill uh, just were hilarious. Just in his 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 disgruntled, grizzled, old sort of defiance of you know, Ricky comes up to him and says, you know, Bella says you you should give me something new. He's like, yeah, go leave me alone. That's what you can do. <laughs> 
But so quickly, there's something just in Bella's actions. You know, she has such a heart for this kid who has been described, you know, as a bad egg. She wants him to feel at home. And you just fall in love with this woman right away of she is like trying to be the best mom to him. She's, you know, never had any kids of her own. But there's just something in the way she reaches out to Ricky, but in a not like in a smothering way. His first night, he like tries to run away, makes it about, what she say, like 200 yards away from the house. And then, you know, over the next few days, every night she's like, okay, you're going to, you're going to run away tonight. And he says, well, I don't know. She's like, okay, well just make sure you're back by breakfast. So yeah. is that when you fell in love with her? Did you I have a specific so. point? Yeah. I think it's that point where she's like, you know, she's got this little game she's playing with him of like, you know, okay, you know, see you in the morning, you know, I agree that that was endearing, but I have to say that when she slaughtered the pig and then tried to clear the blood from her face and ended up wiping more horrific blood on her face, that was the point that I fell in love with. (laughs) Yes. Okay. Yeah, that that is true. Spoiler, you know, covered in blood. Covered in blood. Yeah. And it is kind of a a, a graphic... uh, I mean, there's a lot of blood, you know, yeah. kill, killing the, the wild boar there. I was surprised at the amount of blood spewing and then on her face and the knife. Uh, but, you know, that's sort of the brutality of, of being out there working on the land. You know, we've also got that scene where she's um, what is it like? She's got squirrels or something that she's plucking the fur off of. Oh, that they're going to there's something. And yeah, she's just, you know, it's we're out there and as she explains to Ricky you know she's out from she was born way out there in the in the wilderness in the bush like way up on the mountain uh, so this is the way she was born and raised to to live off the land that, and you know similar you mentioned the lobster I think the idea of graphic depictions of things that are not particularly <laughs> that are that are kind of disgusting and then yes. seeing how it hits with the characters as you're seeing how it hits with the audience is something that this film does well as in addition um it it, it uses it it uses it to a comedic uh, to a comedic play but then also to kind of give you a sense of the drama that the characters are going through and and really how rough the territory is that they're working in. I, I thought it used it really well. Yeah. So, it, I mean, it, it sets up this, you know, we get a sense of the environment around them. Really, the story kicks into gear. Bella passes away. Um, Heck, we learn, is illiterate. He can't read. He asks Ricky to read a letter, which is basically from child services saying that because Bella's passed away, they're coming to get Ricky. And Ricky wants nothing to do with it. He is sort of become happy here but also he's got horrible stories about what happens to kids in the foster care system and that since this was the last stop for him he's probably going into juvenile detention so he decides to to take off and that's where our story really gets going when he's accidentally burns down the barn (laughs) tries tries to stage his own death by setting a uh what a stack of hay dressed in his clothes in a ceramic plate with a face drawn on it. And then he, he writes like a suicide note on the side of the barn, lights it on fire. And as the, the barn is burning down, my daughter, Emma looks at me and says, well, the notes burning too. How are they going to know that he meant to, how are they going to know to look for him if the notes burn too? I said, well, I don't think he meant for the whole barn to go up in flames like that. Yep. Uh, That was an error. (laughs) <laughs> little underestimation on, on Ricky's part on how flammable things are. But he ends up in the wilderness. He's got his rations. He's he's ready to go. And, and Heck tracks him down. They sort of get into an argument about it. Uh, Ricky's really pushing Heck's buttons and insulting him. And Heck sort of lunges at him and 
breaks his foot. Uh, gets it like lodged in between like a rock or a log or something. And so he's now immobilized and they're stuck there in what chapter four broken foot camp. And that's sort of where we start to see the relationship between them, them building. Whereas Ricky's trying to forage in the wilderness for food and heck who's injured is actually able to capture like a, what is it? Like a five foot long slug or something that they roast for dinner one night. Right. So we get a sense of, Heck is a man of the land. He can survive no matter what. Ricky's clearly out of his element, but they're stuck there with each other for several weeks, and that's where the bonding starts to happen with them. And then the remainder of the film is sort of their adventures, not quite on the road, but I guess in the wilderness. Well, and there's all this sort of unintentional comedy that is there, and that's, I think, maybe why I didn't laugh so much, because I was very faced with, you know, the concept of dealing with a five-foot-long slug, or when he gets into, uh, when Ricky gets into his little speech that's totally laced with innuendo that unintentionally (laughs) makes Heck out to be a a, a molesterer, as they say in New Zealand, that is really funny stuff. For most people, but for me, I unfortunately associated myself with the people that were the unintentional part of that comedy. That being said, all this together, story, script, direction, I am super excited for Thor Ragnarok now. Because imagine applying this to the Marvel Universe. I mean, this is going to be really special. And the thing, I I was already sort of gearing up for Thor Ragnarok because it seemed to take on that sort of color and tone that Guardians of the Galaxy did, which weaves the idea of humor and action so well together. So now you have this director, Taika Waititi, who's going to approach this Thor, which I know that most of you guys on the next reel don't love as much in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, but I'm so excited to see what direction they go with it. And the trailers have been fantastic. This is exciting. Oh yeah, I'm I'm right there with you. As soon as, after I'd seen this, because I'd, I'd seen bits and pieces of the Thor trailer and yeah, the Thor movies have always been a little bit darker and just not quite my thing. But after this, yeah, I'm excited to see this balance of character and lightness and fun to tell a story. Yeah, to me, it, it sort of just ramped up my my interest in Thor Ragnarok a, a few notches because I, I was just completely blown away by how, how well this film was constructed and just worked so well. In, in moving things along. So I'm totally amped up. Yeah, I agree 100%. Ragnarok. That's first week of November, I think. Yes. We we talked about the cast a little bit. So so Sam Neill is 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 Sam Neill. You know, he But he was great. Yes. And I was trying to figure out if it was I guess trying to think about where I've seen him play this type of character before. And I it, it sort of reminded me again of, you know, everybody's seen Jurassic Park and sort of that awkwardness uh, he has around yeah. kids there. And I think, you know, you, you see that him drawing on that a little bit here of this. I'm uncomfortable around this kid. I, I've got my own thing that I want to do. I don't want to deal with kids. But, but much uh, more raw here. Oh, but much more raw. He was able and, to do it as a caricature in this film, and I, I really liked it. Oh, yeah, you put another 25 years on him, and you know now he's got the big, you know, bushy beard. He's gone gray. I mean, he's a, a man of the, the wilderness here. Yep. Uh, but yeah, but in that gruffness that he has, there's the way he's able to bring that the humor out of that yeah. and the heart as well when you look at you know in the in the fi- in the final scenes there that he has with Ricky at the end of how he is willing to admit that yeah he cares about this kid and despite all the horrible things that Ricky uh causes to happen to him he does care about him yep. and that that's able to come through and i thought just that performance to go from that range uh was nice to see in such a you know again such a simple film 
Yeah, he did a great job, and his accent wasn't consistent throughout. But I mean, obviously, he's not a he's not from New Zealand that I know of. Uh, so, uh, I, but I did, didn't bother me at all because his character was so well well rounded out. And just yesterday, Julian Dennison, it was announced he is going to be in the next Deadpool movie. Oh, so so, so Ricky Baker and Deadpool. Yes, <laughs> two troublemakers. What is he going to be in Deadpool? I I have not heard, but uh, uh, it was uh, Ryan Reynolds posted, uh, tweeted out a photo where you know Deadpool's there and he's sort of piggyback carrying Ricky Baker, um, and that you know I, I found it because Taika Waititi had t- retweeted it saying I would have never thought that this was going to happen, but this is amazing. So to see you know. Julian go from, you know, this sort of small, you know, foreign film into something as large as, you know, the Deadpool sequel, just, you know, tremendous uh, opportunity for him. And I think he he did a great job of really carrying this film. I have not seen him in anything before, but I, I love Ricky Baker. Yeah. And, you know, so I, I went quickly through IMDb on the Deadpool 2 listing. It has Julian Dennison, but not a role for him yet. So that'll be interesting to see who he shows up as there, whether he's going to be a mutant or if he's just uh, they're going to be do, do what he does best, uh, which would be neat. And then also I just saw Sam Neill's from Ireland, actually. So uh, maybe that's some of the accent that was creeping through there. Probably. Uh, we spoke a little bit about Bella, who's played by Rima Tewiata. So I think she's probably native New Zealander there, uh, you know, just in the, the front part of the film before she passed away. But again, just able to really be that heart in that household. Um, also wanted to point out the uh, Paula, who is the head of the child services and sort of becomes our our antagonist you know as we have this chase to track down ricky and heck yeah uh, she <laughs> makes me laugh so much she's so terrible uh, <laughs> she's, she's so like, terrible she's she's like the worst person but she's so into her job you know she just you know i think at one point she's you know, talking about carrying a gun. They're not licensed to carry guns, but she thinks she's this militant, you know, she's the police, she's out there to get Ricky Baker. And from as she has these scenes with Ricky later on in the film, as she's tracked him down and she's sort of found him across the river and they have that whole conversation about how she's like the Terminator and he's like Sarah Connor. Which but makes the Sarah- no sense. <laughs> but the Sarah Connor before she got all buff and could do chin-ups. Right. <laughs> But she sees herself as this like relentless force, and which she is not. Well, I I love the through line joke that I think is the most effective in the entire film is that early on she confesses that no child left behind (laughs) is not the official (laughs) mantra of the 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 child protective services. It's just hers, and as she becomes more and more obsessed with chasing Ricky and Heck, she just starts saying it over and over again. No child left behind. She gets interviewed on the TV. No child left behind. No child left behind. And the fact that it's not official, but it's just her her obsessive mantra. I think that is. Quite funny, and that was my favorite in the whole of the whole bit. Developing story now, more on this massive national manhunt. Yes, we've got Paula Hall from the Department of Child Welfare with us. Paula, thank you for being here. Good morning. Tell us about this boy. What kind of character are we talking about? Well, look, we're, we're talking about a young boy who is capable of stealing, spitting, breaking stuff, kicking stuff, defacing stuff, stealing stuff burning stuff and uh, loitering and graffiti and, yeah. 
Even so, Paula, he's just a kid, right? He's alone in the bush. He's scared. Scared? No, no, he's not. He's not a scared little kid. He's a spanner in the works, and I'm the mechanic who's going to take that spanner and put him back in the toolbox. Okay. So where he belongs. Uh, all right. No child left behind. No child left behind. No child left behind. You'll know what that means. And then uh, the other performance I wanted to point out was they they spend a little bit of time with a, a gentleman known as Psycho Sam, who has been out in the wilderness for, I think, what he says, about 15 years or so. Uh, he is played by Reese Darby, um, who I've seen in several things. He has a small role in uh, What We Do in the Shadows, which is that vampire documentary that Mr. Watiti directed. And Reese Darby plays the head of the uh, sort of werewolf gang and there is a scene where the vampires and the werewolves cross paths and tempers sort of flare up and some of the werewolf guys you know they're human at this point start sort of swearing at the vampires trying to call them out to start a fight and he calms in and says hold on hold on we're werewolves not swearwolves. <laughs> it's just he plays these ridiculous characters. Fantastic. You know, you're you're werewolves, but you've got to be civilized. Here he's he's Psycho Sam, who is like the worst conspiracy theorist ever. He's got the uh, the escape hatch in the ground of the secret bunker that he hasn't dug yet, so that doesn't lead them anywhere. Uh, he is the cause of how they get discovered because he decides to help Ricky's. Uh, cell phone by boosting the signal which alerts the police to their presence so he's sort of the uh the downfall of of ricky and heck which leads to the ultimate uh confrontation uh and car chase and i don't know if it resonated with you at all but as i was watching it the first time it reminded me a whole heck of a lot of one particular movie and i was wondering if you noticed it as well what's that uh um, Thelma and Louise? Oh, yes, yes, yes. I was actually thinking that was exactly what they were doing. I thought they oh. were going to go for a very direct joke related to it. And they weren't too direct with it, but it looked, the shots when they were looking at the, the truck directly on with the yes. chasers behind them, it looked very much like Thelma and Louise, for sure. There were a lot of references to movies that I think were played for laughs because you've got, yes, the Thelma and Louise, and if you haven't seen that, that may not have resonated with, you know, people but to me i thought this is ridiculous you've got you know these these two on the run and it's you know basically a whole mistaken identity thing it's he's heck's not a molesterer there's no reason for the police or anything it's just they got injured and they just you know happen to be out of communication for several weeks and it's blown up into this ridiculous thing to the point of like a thelma and louise like you've got the helicopters and the army and everything just to get these two which seems like such an extreme and ridiculous reaction yep. but knowing that paula's behind it you know it makes sense and as i mentioned we've got the whole paula you know terminator you know connect you know conversation going there but i think one of the things that made me laugh the most the first time is when ricky and heck are out in the bush and they're they hear that that band of, of three hunters near them and so they sort of duck down behind a log and the guys sort of walk past and ricky you know is, is trying to whisper to heck and he's making gestures with his hands and, and heck's like I, I don't know what you're talking about and ricky's like just like in lord of the rings yes but heck, heck can't read, nor has he probably even seen a movie. So probably, probably not. But it, it's it was I think something that I appreciate is a a filmmaker who clearly loves movies to have a character who loves movies so much and to have those yeah. references in the way that I think you know film lovers like us 
do, you know, sometimes in our day-to-day lives of make those connections between a movie we love and something that's going on in our own life. And to have that, to have a movie that's aware of other films and, and have them presented that way, I find, you know, sort of fresh and fun. I love that. So the uh, some of the other things that really impressed me about this that just, I think, blew me away because I had not seen this before. There's a montage in 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 winter because they, they're out for several months out in the bush and there's this tremendous montage, but it's not a montage that I've seen done before because it's all in one long continuous pan shot. So you'll see Heck and Ricky doing something like at camp with the fire and as the camera pans away, as they go out of frame, we now see they're in frame in another part of the woods and yep. we get a whole sequence of events. And then as the camera sort of comes full circle, we then see the police tracking them through each of these locations. Yep. To me, multiple it was just, entrances, multiple exits. It was really creative and very clever. Oh, it just blew me away because I had not seen anything so effective to get that information across and just these nice single continuous, you know, appearing to be one long continuous shot of two 360 rotations. And there is not a bland shot in this movie. That's one thing that's really, really neat is that everything is beautiful. And of course they have a beautiful landscape to deal with, but it's really impressive. The cinematographer DP there is Lachlan Milne, it looks like. And looking at his IMDb credits, everything looks like it's um, from, you know, that side of the hemisphere. But that being said, I was very impressed with everything they did here. There was a combination of both drone aerial footage and helicopter footage, which was all shot very, very well. The helicopter shot in particular, I, the only one that I know that was a helicopter was the one where they're doing the car chase. And they start yeah. off with just the camera uh, facing the ground as they chase the car. And then they track over the vehicle. And then the camera pans with the vehicle as the helicopter is going in a completely different move from where the car chase is going. And it was just beautifully shot. The drone stuff was great. And I think most of the stuff in the bush was drone footage. And the reason why I think that is because it was pretty standard fixed shooting as the camera uh, raised up or went down or went forward or back. It The camera never moved itself, never panned from the direct motion control that it was on. And that, it, again, it was just beautifully done. And I haven't really seen that used effectively in the Hollywood movies. So I was really impressed with how this uh, director of, of photography and the director worked together to bring these beautiful shots and really creative use of aerial motion control stuff. I just haven't seen it used that way. And, uh, and I'm, and I hope to see more of it and what they do in Hollywood. Well, okay. So, yeah. So our first shot is what I thought was a helicopter shot over the, over the mountain. So you think that was pr- probably drone? I think it was a drone just because I didn't see the camera pan or tilt at all. So usually, oh, okay. so and, yeah. and that's usually my guess. It, it, it's okay. not necessarily that way, but usually if you see a, a, a motion control movement, something that looks like it's fixed or looked like it's actually dollying, right? So if you, if you yeah. have something on the ground where it's attached to a dolly and it's moving without a pan or tilt, but it's doing it in the air, that usually signifies the fact that you're using a drone as opposed to some sort of aircraft. Oh, okay. That's good to know. And again, it's going to evolve over time. So they're going to use it in different ways as it goes. But right now, the way that the technology is, and especially being released here in uh, 2016, that's probably, that's probably a good signifier to which is which. Because I did note that, yeah, we had our, our opening shot was really long shot of, you know, over the green mountains of New Zealand there, you know, out into the bush. And our last shot is again, sort of an aerial shot of Heck and Ricky walking back into the bush together. And it wasn't until you really mentioned that that I realized there are so many shots that are 
are sort of you know up in the air. There, there are, and they're all beautifully shot. I was really impressed. And then the thing that I would mention about it being the first shot, last shot, there is that the bush, in and of itself, is a character in this movie, and and they use it extremely well because it's it's all about Heck and Ricky being able to live on their own in the roughest of circumstances. Couldn't have said it better myself. Thanks. The music. Oh, we skipped over the music. I thought oh, yeah. the music was great. I didn't recognize. I I should say I didn't uh, specifically recognize any tunes, and yet they all felt familiar and 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 good. I thought they were all timely and perfectly matched with the scenes. And I think there were a few. I think at the beginning with the opening shot, I think there's some sort of, I guess like indigenous music because it seemed like a lot of sort of vocal. I don't want to say chanting, but just sort of a cappella, sort of native you know, music that I think worked well, sure. which is a sort of contrast to sort of Ricky's fascination with, with Tupac. Cause there <laughs> is one point where he's, he's singing a song and he's, he's constructed the, the fake headphones out of like branches and leaves and is, is dancing around singing to himself. So we do see sort of, again, that contrast between, you know, sort of the native bush land and then sort of civilization and the, the, the balance, Ricky finding the balance between the two. Very good. So where did this one land on your flick chart? I am very curious to know. Mine, it's it's pretty high actually. I'm I'm I, oh. again. This is the type of film that I go to the movies for. So my total flick chart number is 150. Wow, I'm at 150. Nice round number. This one ended up at 58 out of 150. So kind of close to the top third. It's below Glengarry Glen Ross, and I don't think. I mean. I think Glenn Gary is a, is a classic. Yeah. It's above Contagion, and you know Steven Soderbergh okay. is probably my favorite director. But Contagion's so dark that it it fit right into that notch pretty well for me. How about you? Oh, I, <laughs> I love this movie, Good. and I think I'm at a place where you know movies like this. Um, you know, last month I went back and revisited History of Future Folk, was which is another film like this, which is just simple, fun, and I think maybe I'm just feeling overwhelmed by serious, heavy, dark things and violent things, and it right. was so much fun to sit down with my kids and watch this and see them just the joy of enjoying a film like this. So it, out of my 255, it ended way up there. This is This is actually... Just below Arrival, which is my okay. number three, oh. which is my which is my number three film, wow. and just ab- so and just above La La Land, so it's it's in my it's number four. This That's is huge. One, this is I I I watched it, you know, earlier this year. I watched it again, you know, prep this, and it's I this just I enjoy it and love it every time I watch it. And this is a film I think about when you have it just lightens your life. Yeah. And we need more stories like that. Well, and, and you say, I, you know, as an antidote to the negativity, that's one thing this film does really well. It's got very serious subject matter, but it attacks it in a very comedic and light way. And I think that's special. Also, I think one thing that's neat is that similar to The Lobster, when I went went back and watched that a second time, I liked it even more. And that jumped into my top five. So there might be something about this when you feel this way about the movie that's kind of deadpan or, or this kind of this kind of humor going back to it probably gives you a greater appreciation for all the great things that they're doing in it from a story perspective yeah so like i said this cracked my top five to awesome. me it's a it's a five-star film on letterboxd you know this is a, a like uh I'm, I'm trying to get better about writing reviews so this is one that i i 
really connected with. So one that I'll probably sit down and, and put some words to it to describe you know, sort of my reaction to this. So once that's done, that'll be out there for anyone to, to read. Yeah, please do that. That, that. This is one that should be shared for sure. Any other final comments? Um, oh, I should say my letterbox too. I think I'm a sure. four on it. Okay. I'm a four. But again, it, it, it hearkened to Moonrise Kingdom for me. And I really feel like this, if you like Wes Anderson in terms of, of Hollywood movies and the sort of uh, novelty that he approaches films with, you're going to really like this because it has that perfect sense of humor too. JJ, here at the next reel, we say that when the movie ends, the conversation begins. And I've enjoyed our little talk about Hunt for the Wilder People. And I hope everyone out there listening uh, this is a perfect one to sit down with the family with or when you just need to brighten your day. I think this is a perfect film. Yeah, it's on Hulu. We should say that it's on Hulu. Oh, yes. That is on, available on Hulu. And it's been there for several months, and I hope it continues to stay there and, and find its audience. So, yes, available streaming on Hulu if you have that. So now that our conversation's ending, it's time to start up whatever we're watching next. What have you got uh, lined up in your queue to watch? Well, our next film board coming up this month is going to be Valerian. The City of a Thousand Planets. That's going to be the weekend of July 22nd, I believe. And But I think before that, I want to get out and see Baby Driver. I didn't think anything special about that until I saw the trailer. And I know you don't watch trailers, but that got me really excited. The cast, everything looks really, really neat in that movie. I'm still just on the fence about that one. Yeah. I, I'm, well, I need I'm, to see some I, reviews I, too. I think, I, I think well, I've been hearing some good buzz about it, so I'll probably get out there and see it. But I've also been hearing some good things about the the third uh, Apes movie oh. that's coming out. So that's I, coming out. I took my kids later. to see Captain Underpants, and they couldn't get enough of the uh, <laughs> the Planet of the Apes things. They had so many questions about the Apes, and I said you got to watch like the first four before you go in and see this one. But um, they're excited about that one too. JJ, it's been good and. If you have not seen History of Future Folk, I'm going to recommend you go check that one out. Something fun to watch with the kids. And I'm stealing my sign-off from that. Hondo. I love the conversations that so many of our hosts have had on their shows. Steve and JJ on Trailer Rewind, Ray and Ocean on Silver Linings, even Tommy's short-lived No, No, Wait, Hear Me Out. And so many films they've discussed started out as a book, a play, or even a TV series. Well, now you can support our whole family of podcasts by using our new Originals page to buy the original source material used to inspire films covered on our shows. Just visit thenextreel.com slash originals. Your purchases made through our links give us a small commission at no extra cost to you and allow us to keep having these fantastic conversations. It's a wonderful way to support the show. Producing these podcasts week after week require a ton of work behind the scenes. If you'd like to help support our efforts, try using our originals page when shopping for books and movies that we've covered. It's your one-stop shop for Amazon and Apple links where you can buy the book, play, video game, movie, etc. upon which the movie is based. Original material for trailer rewind movies like If Beale Street Could Talk, The Goldfinch, Aniara, or The Two Faces of January, or Silver Linings movies like Repo Men, which was based on the repossession Mambo. Plus, by using those links to buy books, Amazon and Apple show us a little bit of love, which allows you to support our family of shows with minimal effort. Visit thenextreel.com slash originals. It's a fantastic way to support the show and find a great book to read. That's right. Head over to thenextreel.com slash originals to find your next read and get started today. Get started today.